0: recovery elevator episode 98
1: maybe just no, no more day drinking that's what i need to cut out i need to cut out the day drinking
0: you know maybe i really just do, do need to keep
1: it to friday saturday maybe sunday Funday every once in a while
0: welcome to the recovery elevator podcast my name is paul thank you so much for joining us according to the recovery elevator sobriety tracker on my phone i've been sober for 27 months in one week On today's podcast, we've got Sean. He's 30 years old. He's been sober for two months and one week. Nice job, Sean. Registration for Camp Re, Camp Recovery Elevator, is now open on the website, recoveryelevator.com forward slash retreats. Save $50 if you book by March 1st. This is going to be an awesome recovery retreat. Hope to see you there. Okay, let's get started. One question I often get in sobriety is, what do you drink now that you don't drink alcohol? What do you drink when you find yourself at a bar, at a wedding, a social function? What do you do then? Now you can go to the recoveryelevator.com episode 98 show notes and Kathy, who is a rock star who creates the show notes, she has created a list of the beverages listed in this podcast. I've also got a YouTube video where I taste test about 10 to 12 non-alcoholic beverages and give them a rating scale. Okay, back to the question at hand. When I get asked this question, I often say to myself, wow, that's a great question. I guess that's why my skin is dry, my lips are chapped, and I'm about to pass out with dehydration. Yeah, there's nothing to drink besides alcohol. I'm totally kidding on that one. And the ironic part is if you drank alcohol, those basically would be the side effects. It dries you out, dehydrates you. And after diving into this topic for just a couple seconds, I quickly realized the alternatives without alcohol far exceed the drinks with alcohol. So that's the good news. But before we start talking about the non-alcoholic drinks that I recommend, and especially my go-to drink, which I will describe in detail towards the end of this topic period, let's dig just a little bit deeper and find out why this question is actually being asked. And if you think about the question, you can't take it for face value, because the question of face value is, what do I drink besides alcohol when I'm out at a bar? Anybody who's ever been at a dining establishment can quickly rattle off several non-alcoholic drinks. But the question that's really being asked here is, how do you fit in at these social functions without drinking? But then when you do get thirsty, you're a human being, you need water to survive. What do you drink besides alcohol? And perhaps, just perhaps, you're asking this question on basis of taste. How does one possibly make it through a social event without enjoying the taste of a Bordeaux from that region in France, from a Chianti, from the water that was tapped from the Rocky Mountains itself? If that's your argument, I'm going to have to call total BS on that. And if you're telling me you drink these beverages for the taste and not for the euphoric effects that this drug alcohol produces, well, that's BS. I've mentioned many times on this podcast that alcohol previously is ethanol with a couple additives added to make it palatable is absolutely terrible tasting. That's why it's mixed with grapes, with fruits, with juniper berries, with potatoes, anything to make that rank taste go away. If you really like the taste... Have you ever tried a non-alcoholic beer? Yeah, they taste identical. However, it's pretty hard to get through more than one of those. And now that I brought it up, let's talk about non-alcoholic beers for a second. I don't recommend this as a substitute for drinking. You'll probably blend in holding a green Bex non-alcoholic or Duels or Bush actually has a pretty good non-alcoholic beer in a can called Bush N.A. However, there still is a small trace of alcohol in this. They boil out the alcohol, but they can't get all of it out. I once chatted with a gentleman whose wife permitted him to have non-alcoholic beer in the house. He ended up drinking 30 to 40 non-alcoholic beers in his garage every night, and the wife was like, uh-uh, we're sticking to Pepsi. The only time I'll drink a non-alcoholic beer while in recovery is when I go to a function and someone knows I'm coming, and they say, oh, hey, Paul, there's Beck's in the fridge. I usually have about a half of one. I don't want to be rude. I'm serious on this one. I usually have about a half of one, pour the rest of it out, and then go for something else. Again, without the alcohol, they're kind of pointless. That's also kind of how I feel about decaf coffee. What's the point? Okay, but back to the question that should be asked here. How do you blend in in a social function without drinking alcohol? And With over two years of sobriety under my belt, I can tell you right now, it's easy. However, I was there at one point, and I was terrified. The first couple social functions, when somebody looked at my hands and was like, dude, Paul, is that you? They had to look up at my face, like, yeah, that is Paul. They looked down at my hands, up back at my face, Paul, back down at my hands, and they ran away. I'm just kidding. That did not happen, but that's what I thought was going to happen. In fact, mid-January in 2010, on January 1st, 2010, I had decided to quit drinking. I made it two and a half years. However, I had a function at my house mid-January, and what I did, I emptied out a Coors Light bottle and filled it up with water. Looking back on that, I laugh, but I remember at the moment, I didn't want anybody to know that I wasn't drinking. In fact, my brother was like, hey, Paul, I thought you weren't going to drink tonight. I was like, you are correct, Marco. Have a sip of this. Taste it. Ooh, Pablo, you're good. That's water. His thinking, but actually, why don't you just get a water glass? My thinking, dude, no one will like me anymore. Man, my thinking was so astray. You've also heard me say this on the podcast. A glass of water in your hand at a party is a pretty good filter for friends. If someone looks at your hand and is like, dude, you're drinking water, you're so lame, you can look at them and say, thank you, you're no longer my friend. It's that simple. Again, I do recognize the trepidation and the feelings of anxiety that I had when I went to my first couple functions. And what if you go out on a date, first wedding, all these social functions, you're probably going to drink something. To answer this question, let's role play for just a quick second. So we're at a bar and my friend says, hey, Paul, how do you do this? What do you drink besides alcohol? I say, hang on a sec. I go up to the bar. I get two waters. I come back, place the water with ice cubes in his hand and the water with ice cubes in my hand. And I say, what were you going to ask? And he's like, no, I forgot. Number one, have something in your hand. That makes this question already irrelevant, basically. The fact that you have a water with ice cubes in your hand You're telling your brain, okay, my right hand is holding something familiar. That part you've done many times. You're going to feel pretty good. When you bring that liquid to your lips, you know, there's a little bit more work that needs to be done. However, water itself tastes pretty damn good. In fact, it's delicious. You cannot beat it. My first several social events. I think for the first year, I always had something in my right hand while at a social event. Even if the beverage was already consumed and just ice cubes remained, I still held the beverage in my hand. Just telling my brain that I was holding something, almost tricking my brain, did the trick enough. So at roughly seven minutes into the podcast, you're probably saying to yourself, awesome, Paul. Water? That's all you got? Yeah, I'm out. Hang tight with me for a second because after this podcast is over, I'm going to share with you the best beverage known to mankind. And basically every restaurant establishment, pizza parlor, wherever you go, they can make this. Better off, price, usually it's free. Okay, back to the original question at hand. How do you fit in in these social situations when you're not drinking alcohol? Because that's really the question that needs to be asked. Well, number one, you got to be confident and you got to be proud because there is no shame for not ordering something that's going to slow down your faculties the instant you drink it. Hell, you should be proud. You're the smartest one at that table. If somebody gives you flack for ordering a Diet Pepsi at dinner, look at them, look at your body, and be like, dude, this is a temple. There's no way I'm going to put that shit in my body. When was the last time you had a Shirley Temple? I can guarantee it. Out of all the people at your table, you just ordered the most delicious, refreshing beverage known to mankind. Well, how about for you, sir? I'm going to do a Shirley Temple, but if you could add double cherries on that, that would be fantastic. And then go about your conversation. It's kind of like the guy who orders the kale and arugula salad with cranberries. If he orders it in a fashion like this, yeah, I'm going to have the item uh, about four four below the Big Boy Burger. That would be great. Thank you. Yeah, all of their friends are going to be like, one, two, three, four. <laughs> Dude, Rick, what are you doing? If you're just straight up like, yeah, I'm going to have the kale and arugula salad, uh, extra cranberries, croutons, and uh, yeah, throw some shaved cheese on there. That would be great. No one will bat an eye. So let's chat about some really good substitutes. You heard me just mention a Shirley Temple, and those are gosh darn delicious. Well, Roy Rogers is the Coke alternative to that. But let's look at a ginger beer. I know it does have the word beer in the name of the beverage, but believe me, I'll have four to five of these a night, and there's no alcohol in it. A ginger beer is just like a root beer. It's a high-quality ginger beer, and the brand that I like that most bars have is called Cock and Bull. It's how they make the Moscow Mules. This one comes in a brown bottle. You can blend in. It's caffeine-free. It's got a little bit of sugar, and ginger is really good for you. This drink is delicious, in my opinion. Another beverage that I like to get is a sugar-free Red Bull in a pint glass with ice. They usually throw a lime in it and a straw. And from outside looking in, really nobody can tell if you throw away the sugar-free Red Bull can. Oh yeah, and here's a quick ordering tip. When you order, look at the bartender. Look at your friends. Look at the bartender and say, yeah, I'm the DD tonight. I'm driving these clowns around. And then 99 out of 100 times, you're going to get that drink on the house. And about 40 refills after that. Seriously, it's awesome. Before we get to my all-time favorite beverage that I order at bars, restaurants, social events, etc., let's talk about alternatives at home. There's a soda water called Lacroix. It comes in a bunch of flavors, orange, peach, tangerine, etc., and it's soda water in a can. It's delicious. It's pronounced Lacroix, but it's spelled L-A-C-R-O-I-X. What does this mean? Well, I googled it. It's a French word, and it's a topographic name for someone who lived near a cross set up by the roadside. Wow, that does absolutely nothing for us. But keep in mind, you can sound classy about saying yes, pass me a LaCroix, please. These soda waters are the real deal and was a game changer when I first discovered LaCroix. World Market. Holy coconuts. When I first went to World Market, went to the back of the beverage section, I was blown away. There are so many flavors of ginger beer. That's probably my favorite overall drink is ginger ale, a high quality ginger beer. There's like four to five different high quality flavors from all across the world. World Market, if you've got it, gosh, they've got some great alternatives. Okay, now let's get to the best beverage of all time. This would be, wait for it, are you ready? Make sure you're ready for it because this is all you're gonna be drinking from here on out. This would be, for the price of, usually free at a bar, if you use the ordering tip, saying that you're the DD, is a soda water with a splash of crayon and a lime. Splash of crayon, probably like a one-eighth ratio. Or tell your mixologist to hold the C button on the gun for about a second. That would give you the adequate splash of crayon needed. And then lightly squeeze the freshly cut lemon, let the lemon spray over the top of the beverage, insert straw, and then commence heaven. A taste enhancement option would be to enjoy this beverage in a chilled glass. Perhaps float an umbrella in the top. It doesn't matter. It's delicious regardless. So usually in a restaurant, this beverage will come in a pint glass. There's bubbles, it's red, it has a garnish. If you're looking to blend in, which again, that's really what this question is all about, this drink will do the trick every time. Oh yeah, and again, did I mention it's freaking delicious? Okay, so now let's hear from our interviewee, Sean. Sean, how are you? Good, how are you doing, Paul? Hey, I'm good, thanks for asking. Sean, let's get right into this. When was your last drink? It was two months, one week, and two days ago. Nice, congratulations, man. I bet that feels good. It does. Thank you. There we go. And before we get any further, give listeners a little background about yourself. Maybe where you're from, what you do for a living, how old are you, and what do you like to do for fun? Okay. So I grew up on a farm in southern Idaho,
1: moved to Montana 12 years ago. Currently, I do wealth management. I'm 30 years old. For fun, I like to play hockey and snowboard in the winters when summer comes around go play soccer, and then as soon as fall starts, I coach Little League football and play in a flag football league
0: here in Bozeman. Nice, coaching Little League flag football. You probably get paid a lot to do that, right?
1: Uh, no. Well, actually, you know, the, the moms usually get together and give you usually quite a bit of money in gift certificates to random places,
0: <laughs> usually bars, actually. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They there you go. Hey, guys. Yeah. Six-pack of beer for coaching my kid. Uh, yeah, but, uh, actually, yeah. coaching football, far off. being of service, that's awesome. We'll probably, we definitely will touch up upon that later. But Sean, I'm just going to ask you another load question. When was your bottom?
1: So my bottom was April 17th, 2016. I was up at Big Sky for closing day, pond skim, doing a lot of day drinking, doing a lot of drinking at night, was blacked out for about three hours. Decided at some point that I really needed to drive home. Don't remember much or any of this. Uh, Fought one of my friends for my keys. Apparently, I won that fight. Didn't find out about that until about six months later. And proceeded to drive home. Go And I don't know how familiar anyone is with this area, but the canyon from Big Sky to Bozeman is one of the deadliest canyons in the country. And right before getting into the canyon, I. put my truck up against guard rail for about 20 30 feet so i have a nice constant reminder along the side of passenger side of my truck and i can see every day of the damage and then i was doing 65 through 45 apparently that's also illegal. got pulled over thankfully just because i honestly believe there's a really good chance i would not be here today i probably would have hurt myself the canyon and I probably would have taken someone else with me. So that was kind of a blessing in disguise.
0: Where did you get pulled over but in the canyon? Was it up top or at, kind of at the bottom? It was at the bottom right
1: before the Exxon.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, yeah. keep going.
1: Then from there, I told the officer that I should not be driving, that I am extremely intoxicated. And so he decided to take me to a hotel, but ended up calling my parents. They became very worried about me. Thought I was going to harm myself, so sometime after getting dropped off by the police, a pair of officers showed up. Decided that it was best that I be at a hospital and be supervised, so they drove me to Bozeman. Most of this, again, I have almost no recollection of. Ended up waking up in the hospital around 6 a.m. with my dad, who apparently drove up from Idaho in the middle of the night just to check on me. Obviously, he was concerned, so. Waking up extremely hungover, probably still a little bit drunk uh, with my dad sitting there in the room with a very sad look of disappointment, concern, you know, that that look that your parents give sometimes that breaks your heart. Did you have an idea
0: of what happened when you woke up?
1: I had a pretty good idea. There was bits and pieces that I kind of remember happening, but for the most part, any of the details were
0: just a blur. And then when did you fully grasp this, you know, the complexity of the situation and the gravity of the situation? Was it when you woke up the same day, a day later, two days later, um, I assume you got a DUI. Am I right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I knew the gravity of the situation as it was happening, but it really took a while to kind of kick in. It just seemed so surreal for a while. It's like this, this isn't happening. I don't, un- I don't understand what's what's going on but i think it took you know a couple weeks for it to really really set in yeah i'm not i don't i don't remember the exact date that it really set in but it it definitely took a while it just seemed like a dream at first like this this is not happening this is a nightmare i'm going to wake
0: up never woke up <laughs> and never waking up talk to me about what set in in the next couple of weeks was was it feelings of man I need to find a different way to drink I can no longer attend pond skims because those are just not good for anybody with a drinking problem or was it sinking in that perhaps you couldn't drink anymore
1: yeah and it was kind of all of that looking at it it was you know it's tough to stop drinking when it's court point, point is someone telling you to do something you want to fight it you get a little bit defensive you know my parents they had pro- my dad had been concerned about my drinking for a couple of years now and so I started going through in my head you know maybe you know I you know, reached out and you know, talked you know maybe I am an alcoholic maybe I do have a problem and that's it really hit me like Maybe, maybe this is bad. Maybe everything I'm doing is bad. And I, you know, I went through all the experiments of, you know, maybe just no, no more day drinking. That's what I need to cut out. I need to cut out the day drinking. You know, maybe I really just do, do need to keep it to Friday, Saturday, maybe Sunday, Sunday, every once in a while. <laughs>
0: sure, it um, rhymes. It ex- can't be any harm in that.
1: Yeah. Just experimenting with, you know, I'm only going to go out and drink for a little yeah. bit and, I think I made it two, three months after this without really having any drinks or getting drunk. Uh, Part of that was also court mandated. I had a nice little breathalyzer I had to take twice twice a day. So they really helped with my sobriety. But once that was gone, it was my 30th birthday, a bunch of buddies in town. And of course, these are some of my buddies who I drink with the most. And then I had a wedding the next week and it turned into this six-week bender
0: going out,
1: <laughs> yeah. four
0: days a week. And I mean bender. It was, it was extreme. Yeah, so and, it sounds like the deck was, was stacked against you. But let me ask, how long after was you know, the court-mandated breathalyzer then you took your first drink? Three weeks. Okay. Was how it, long I made it? Was it your plan to keep going with sobriety? It
1: was, and I kind of planned. I was like, you know what? It's my 30th birthday. I'm having fun with this. I got a wedding the next week, you know, we're going to, we're going to go, we're going to have a week, it's going to be fun. And then we're going to shut it down. We're just going to, we're going to stop. The stopping didn't happen. It just kept rolling.
0: Sure. And that kept rolling up to about two months, one week ago, right? Was there, was there another bottom or did you just wake up one day like, this has got to stop?
1: Yeah. And I actually, you know, after I, the, you know, the initial six weeks, I, I started to slow down on my own you know, people joking with me, oh, are you still on your bender, this and that? And, you know, I was still struggling with the idea of stopping drinking. There was two weeks where I I really slowed down. And what that kind of helped me do was it gave me time to reflect on everything that was going on, what I had been doing. And it was sitting at the bar fairly sober, fairly sober, looking at all the people around me, looking at you know, these people that probably did have drinking problems, these people that were way too regular at the bar that, you know, we all knew each other and where they were at in their lives doing this and that. Because of my drinking, I lost, I was not let go from my job, but I stepped away in the spring. And I'm very confident that alcohol was a big part in me leaving my firm at the time. And I had to, you know, I wasn't deep state or depression, you know, kind of had been those, you know, six months or so. And it was just finally time, you know, wasn't getting anywhere with where I wanted to be in life, my financial goals, my career goals, you know, where I wanted my health to be. And it was just like, what's stopping me? What's going on? And just kept weighing the pros and cons of drinking. And it was like, I got to shut this down. There's no reason for me to be drinking. Like I don't want to end up like these people over here. I don't, I don't want my life to look like that. My life is not where I want it to be, especially at my age. I have so much time to get back from this, get things figured out, and restart this and create a life that I really genuinely do want. And alcohol is not a part of that. And it was just, to me, it's too dangerous of a game to play anymore.
0: Congratulations for recognizing that because there was a long time in my life where alcohol was still a small fraction in my life. You know, it's like, well, I'll just cut down. You know, you just said alcohol is not part of any of my life goals. I need to stop. And let me ask you this question, Sean. What do you think will happen in the next 5, 10 years if you start drinking again?
1: I will be right back where I'm at. I honestly believe that. I don't see how it could go any other way. You know, I think everyone in the back of their mind has that thought, you know, maybe this time will be different. Maybe this time I can go out and I can be a normal drinker. Maybe I can go out and have that one beer and go home and nothing, you know, and I'll be fine. But again, it's too dangerous. I don't I don't want to know I, what, what happens if I do fall off, you know, the wagon again. Um, it could easily spiral and that's all it takes is that one drink to turn to two drinks. That one time you went out to you going back out two days a week or three days a week, you know, it can start slow and seem like everything's okay, but it can snowball into a train wreck and that's what I've done. Now, listen,
0: those those seem like two benign questions, right? The first one is, you know, like you were you ready to quit drinking? Number two, what do you see in your future? But number one, you you, you've squashed all thinking of uh, that alcohol can be controlled yeah you've you've, you've done the tests. so only day drinking or you know no day drinking only sunday fun day that didn't work and number two the next question is do you see it in your future i've I've interviewed people on this podcast they're like well i mean they're thinking about it in their mind and not everybody on this podcast that gets interviewed stays sober sean there's no guarantee that the person on this side of the microphone myself will stay sober i'm going to be sober today december 8th but there's no guarantees but i can tell you right now with 100% certainty that there is no infinitesimal thought in my brain that tomorrow i'll be able to responsibly drink a beer or be able to control it. And Sean, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. So I want to want to back it up before you know maybe in your 20s you you said that your dad had been worried about your drinking for for a couple years. What were your drinking habits like? How much did you drink?
1: You know, we're going back to the college years. Back then it was maybe three times a week. And I went to Carroll College over in Helena and Wednesday was a big night to go out. Same with Friday, Saturday, as usual. That was most of the time I drank. I've never been one to just sit around my house and drink by myself. It's always been when I go out to drink, I'm drinking. I'm getting wrecked. I am going to party. So it was always those big binge drinking. And then it moved up to Big Sky for a couple years. That was not helpful because everyone drinks up there all the time. So probably, again, four days a week. Never really did much day drinking, honestly, until I moved to Bozeman. I don't know why, but that's when the day drinking really kicked in. So Sunday fun days, you know, drinking on all day Saturday for football or skiing or anything like that. That's that's when that really kicked in, but it was pretty consistent with three days a week. There was times where I'd go a couple of months without drinking when I was younger, but that's something that as the years have gone by, I don't think I've done that since I was probably 22. That was pr- I think I went three months without drinking because I was on this big fitness kick, didn't drink at all, and then got right back into it. And since then, I don't think I've gone more than two weeks without a drink until obviously,
0: you know, two months ago. Sure, sure. And you mentioned the word depression, and I can tell you, depression has been a big part of my story in my journey where, you know, I experienced depression, and I always thought it was depression and not the alcohol. that The two were not related, and, you know, I still struggle with depression at times in sobriety, but I really had to tease out that, you know, alcohol was, was causing the depression. And what was depression like when you were drinking, and then comment on what it's like today. You know, and in, in only two months in a week, sometimes it can take your brain four to five to six months to a year to kind of reset. Talk to us about depression when you were drinking and then now.
1: So most of the depression I'd say it was really it would go in with the anxiety, the hangovers, the looking at what you could have especially when I was working so much, it was Being depressed about the things that I could have done at work at the time. Last spring, I was going through a big breakup. You know, the depression didn't help. And a lot of times people channel their depression into anger. So there was a lot of fighting, a lot of that. And it was, you know, waking up the next day, realizing what you had done and just feeling so bad about yourself, just feeling worthless and... Just the alcohol and, you know, some of the research I've done, what it does to your brain as far as keeping the depression going, making it worse, was always very challenging when drinking. The last two months, it's been far easier to deal with. I think one of the biggest changes in my temperament is just how even keto I am. When things do come up, bad things come up, it's so much easier to deal with these days, which is amazing. Back when I was drinking, I'd probably go through these like three-day cycles of three, four-day cycles of just depression, anxiety, didn't want to do anything, talk to anybody, leave my house. And now I'm on like a 24-hour cycle, but I can still, I can leave my house. I can talk to people. I can go to gym. I can work through it. Where back when I was drinking, I would immediately just go to the bar, start texting friends. Hey, you want to go grab a drink? And then it would just go hand in hand with each other just depression and alcohol skipping to the bar.
0: What was the anxiety like? That was a big part of my story because I would get anxiety and you know, I can only deal with bad anxiety for like five to seven days. And then I knew that immediately if I drank, there would be a, a short reprieve. It would come back usually worse. But what was your anxiety like? And do and you think it was triggered by the alcohol?
1: I think it was definitely, it was very heavily triggered by the alcohol. It's It's still there a little bit. But the alcohol always made it worse, especially the next day. I might go out to the bar, feel good for three hours, something like that. But then even towards the end of the night, it would always kick back in. You know, whether it was those thoughts of I'm not good enough, I'm a terrible person, what am I doing with my life? You know, things like that would always roll through my head, especially the next day, just being hungover, feeling terrible, just being anxious about what am I doing what's going on Like, I gotta I gotta stop this and usually it would just turn into screw it I'm going back out
0: yeah case of the efforts we've all experienced that and then how did you do it not not from April 17th because you were court-ordered and we've learned on this podcast that that fear can get you sober you know fear fines, fear of incarceration again But how did you do it two months ago in one week? How did you do it? Day one, two, three, the first month?
1: Just took it day by day. I think that's the most important thing. I forget where I heard the quote or read something, but it was just even when you're trying to get through those first days, it's so bad, you just got to keep telling yourself, today sucks, tomorrow will be better, the next day will be a little bit better too. And eventually, it's going to be a lot easier. And that's just kind of what I kept telling myself is, I got to get through this. I just got to get through today. But also telling my friends that, hey, I'm not drinking anymore. And a lot of my friends, they still think that I'm on just a reprieve. And But I, I've told quite a few of them, no, I'm, I'm done. I'm done drinking. Some of them have been very supportive of it and it's been great. Some of them still want to know when I'm going to start drinking again. I don't talk to many of those friends anymore. But one of the biggest things was when I was just sitting around thinking about my life, I think it was just kind of a renewed vigor for life, just getting started again, looking at it, and like you know, just setting up my goals of where I want my career to be, what my health goals are. Uh, just getting back there, getting back into the kind of shape I was when I was playing college football. You know, being able to, you know, run again without my entire body trying to kill me, doing those kinds of things, looking at you know, what I deem successful professionally for me and what it's going to take. And just knowing that alcohol is not a part of it. I know I was looking at your guys' podcast, everyone talks about higher power. And I guess right now I'm just really focused on a higher purpose.
0: Sure. Yeah. And the higher power, higher purpose, it looks different for everybody. But what I've learned personally is it, it's tough to do this alone for an extended period of time. If you want sobriety and perpetuity, you can't do it alone is what I've, what I've witnessed. And right there, what you said, how you did it is you created accountability. That's awesome that you told some friends and, you know, you've realized that, you know, I don't talk to some of those friends very much anymore and and that's fine. And you can't think your way out of a drinking problem. I've learned that firsthand. But what you can do, and it sounds like what you did, Sean, is you can see what coalesces with your goals. You can say, hey, um, I, I want to lose 15 pounds. And then in your, in your brain, you can think through, will a pizza every single night help me lose 15 pounds? That answer is no. And it sounds like you just straight up thought about your life goals and answered, asked the question, does alcohol fit into that? And that answer was no. And that seems you know just accountability and reasoning logistically through that has gotten you two months and one week. Does that sound about right? Yeah. Yeah. Nice job. And, you know, you, you, you chatted the other day about uh, cafe RE and you said, look, I'm, I'm going to need something else. I'm, I'm probably okay right now. I can probably make it another month too, or, you know, however long, but right now I'm okay. But for cafe RE and a lot of these other tools and resources, it's not the day of stuff. It's when it creeps up on you and you're like, holy shit, I need a drink. And, and, and that's when you're going to need these tools and resources. And so what's your plan? You know, what's your plan in sobriety moving forward?
1: Just continue talking to people about it, just trying to build up those positive support factors, whether it's new friends, old friends. I still see a therapist once a week. I think everyone should. It's so nice to be able to bitch to someone who's unbiased and never (laughs) going to tell anyone about all the things you're telling about all your friends. Legally can't tell Uh, anybody. It's great. Yeah, exactly. It's it's so wonderful. It's like, you know, my dog is great to bitch. Too, but you know she doesn't say a lot back. You know the conversation is very one-sided.
0: That's not a bad but thing either, though. At times, <laughs> John,
1: it is. Oh, the things she could tell. Yeah, it's it's doing that. It's finding accountability partners. I know in March I have a guy moving in who's been sober for 17 months. So having someone actually living with me will be very helpful. My parents are great to lean on it's been kind of, which has been interesting because you know. All my grandparents were alcoholics. None of my immediate family parents, aunts, uncles were, but my grandparents, oh boy, to a T. And so they've been, it was very awkward at first talking with all of them about it, but I was down in California for Thanksgiving and kind of just made this start out an awkward conversation with them. Hey, by the way, I've been sober for a while, if you guys are curious. So just letting them know that we can talk about this we can make jokes about it instead of it being kind of the uh, the white elephant in the room. I think getting that out of the way has been important so I can actually talk with people about it.
0: That's, that's huge. And it's interesting you say that your grandparents were alcoholics, your parents weren't. I've heard that a lot on this podcast. And then with my family, it actually follows that similar tale. Because I think a lot of uh, you know children of alcoholics, uh, you know my grandparents, for example, or my grandpa. Yeah, a lot of those people choose not to drink because they grow up in a household like that. And I'm I'm seeing that it kind of skips a generation. The genetics don't. However, if you don't take a drink, you'll never become an alcoholic. If you don't go down that road, I've seen that often on this podcast, and I find that really interesting. And I'm sure there's research out there that I like to look into. And let me ask you another question, Sean. You're 30 years old. You're a single guy. You're fun. You're professional, you're outgoing. Uh, What's it like being sober and trying to stay sober when you and I both know, especially in this town of Bozeman, Montana, there's a lot of alcohol consumed, but what's it like trying to get sober at such a young age?
1: It's tough because everyone wants to drink. You know, I'm a part of a young professionals group, and, you know, they unofficially call themselves a drinking club. So I've had to limit my association with that. Anytime anyone wants to do something, go watch the game at the bar. Let's go to this brewery, grab a beer. Let's go skiing. Oh, let's go grab a beer. Oh, we went for a hike. Let's go grab a beer. So the hard part is trying to, I've been trying to build a little bit of a new friend's base. So that's always challenging. Just there's, I have some great friends that are wonderful about everything, but I also realize there's a lot of people that that's all they do and that's what their socialized or evolved around. So it's been trying to reach out somehow. I'm still trying to figure this out, how to meet people and make friends again, especially without alcohol. And I think the biggest challenge is retooling yourself totally because you're always used to going out, you know, having that beer, having, you know, that little bit of buzz confidence. And now you're going in sober. And it was you know, terrifying at first and it's hard to get used to. And my friends noticed it right off the bat. They're like, you are so quiet these days. You don't say anything anymore. You know, you don't seem happy. You don't seem okay. It's just you don't have that that alcohol anymore to help you out with it. And it takes time. And I'm finally coming around to being, I guess, normal again. You know, being chatty, being able to go out and where It's normal that I'm not concerned about, you know, I still go out with my friends a little bit you know just go to the bars watch the games a lot of times end up driving them home but it's it's a it's a bigger challenge when you're sober but it takes time it's one of those things once you get used to being uncomfortable in it it's not as bad it's kind of uncomfortable all the time but it's just it's normal for you now it's normal to be sober around all your friends who might be a little drunk. Sean,
0: I think you and I, we're, we're kind of living at the beginning of a time that's going to shift drastically when it comes to social life and events. For example, in larger markets, uh, there's, there's alcohol-free parties sponsored by DayBreaker.com, which are heavily attended. We're talking hundreds of thousands of people in Austin, Vancouver. There's Sober Vacations International. There's the other side. You know, they do SoberNightLife.net. There's LightsOut.com, which I, I think is a website. There are dry bars, dry nightclubs opening up in these larger markets in, in Chicago, New York, and London where they don't serve alcohol. And it's not for – it's not dedicated to people in 12-step programs. Sure, though they might attend at times, but imagine a place where you can go and you're not at risk of being hit on by a drunk person. You know, you're not throw up in the bathroom. There's you know, a whole lot of that uncomfortable, just disgusting stuff involved with bars and nightlife. And you can be yourself. It would be really fun to meet other people and, and girls in, in a scenario like that. And, Sean, you and I live in the same city, man. I, I say you and I road trip it to one of these um, like sober sober overnight festivals, these concerts, man. That would be pretty sweet, huh?
1: Oh, yeah, I agree because, you know, Tinder is you know, one of the best ways out there of meeting people. But as soon as you put sober on your profile, those matches don't come anymore. I'll tell you what, no one, no one wants to talk to you.
0: Uh that's funny. Uh, I've I've experienced that. I've also experienced it on the other side. I tried an experiment on Match. dot com, and my my profile. The first line was like recovering alcoholic, ADHD, professionally diagnosed, you're allergic to horses. Um, you just like threw it all out there, right? And uh, the response I got there was pretty cool as well. But uh, I, I think I'll tailor something more to in in in, in the middle there. But, yeah, because, I mean, yeah. I don't want to go on one date that I meet with somebody on Match.com who, who's, who's a lush. And, you know, I can, if I can eliminate that right off the bat, that, that's great. But, yeah, yeah, Sean, I hear you about the, the Sober Network. You and I, this is new. We're going to have an on-ice connection with the Space Cowboys. Am I right? Yep. Yeah, so we are on the same adult rec hockey team now starting in a couple of weeks. Pretty low level of hockey, which uh, skating is, is difficult. Yeah, but it's, it's going to be fun.
1: Yeah, no, it's it's a good time. Let's let's be easy with that low level hockey. You never know if somebody else on the team is gonna hear this.
0: No, I'm talking about myself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I tried skating backward the other day. Again, it's it's freaking hard ice skating and then you gotta do it with a stick and a puck in your hands. Uh, yeah, it's it's hard.
1: For everyone listening to this, Paul is our ringer. Paul is definitely our ringer. He's lying right now.
0: Uh, no, it's because I, I, I bring <laughs> I bring a ring. Um, that I have to skate around to practice. I put a ring on the ice to practice circles before the game starts. That's what they mean when they call me the ringer. Yes. (laughs) All right. Shaw, we have reached the rapid-fire round. If you can answer these questions within 30 to 60 seconds, that would be great. Are you ready? I'll do my best. All right. Besides Big Sky, what was your worst memory from drinking?
1: Ooh. I, I think a day after my birthday, we had a Sunday fun day. I apparently wanted to wrestle or fight, and I punched one of my buddies in the head. My buddy is a giant. He threw me down a flight of stairs.
0: Man, you flew down so, a flight of stairs. Yeah, that, that's also yeah. happened to me while I've been drinking before. Not fun. Yeah. I understand how that feels. Next question. We've all heard of the aha moment. Did you ever have an oh shit moment indicating that you really can't control your drinking?
1: There was a lot of them. Anything specific coming to mind right now? No, but I know there was a lot of them. I think they were all, they're always when you make a joke about oh, yeah, I'm an alcoholic, and then you don't laugh. You're like, oh, shit, I am an alcoholic.
0: Yeah, I hear you. And, John, you're pretty green to sobriety with two months and a week, but still that's a lot of time to build on. What's your favorite resource in recovery so far up to this moment?
1: My favorite resource, honestly, is the gym. Whether it's playing basketball, there's always people there to go talk to, and it doesn't have to be about alcohol. just, hey, what are you doing? You, You want to shoot some hoops really quick? You want to go lift really quick? Whenever that kind of comes up, it's just super easy. Go over there, get your mind off it, watching football on the TVs, Just go somewhere else. Get
0: something else going. I love that. I don't think I've heard that answer. And really, if you think about it, the gym and alcohol, they don't coalesce. I mean, that makes a lot of sense without. Yeah. And Sean, in regards to sobriety, what's the best advice you've ever received?
1: Just take it day to day. It's, it really is about focusing on that one day, especially if you're having cravings and just winning your fight through on that, being able to make it just turn that thought off and get away from it and making it that one day without drinking and then start meeting the next day.
0: And what parting piece of guidance can you give to that 30 year old single guy right now out there listening in Ohio? What advice can you give to that person?
1: Just start, just take the first step forward, try and be sober today. Don't think about tomorrow. Start talking to people about it. Start talking to sober people or your friends who who are concerned about you or your friends that don't drink. Just start talking to people about it and say, hey, I think I have a problem.
0: Sean, I love it. And before we depart, give listeners your own customized, you might be an alcoholic if line.
1: Ooh, I think it goes back to you might be an alcoholic. If you make a joke about being an alcoholic and you immediately stop laughing after the joke,
0: <laughs> I love that. Oh, wait. Oh, oh no. It it it, hurt. it it hurts so bad because it's towards me. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Um, Sean, thanks for joining us, man. I'm actually serious on that road trip, dude. We should, we should go check out one of these sober parties, sober festivals, sober concerts. That'd be fun. Yeah, it would be. Yeah, that'd be a blast. Gotcha. Space Cowboys to the cup. Thank you so much for joining us, Sean. You're welcome, Paul. All right. See you, bud. I'm excited to announce that on January 22nd in Los Angeles, I've been invited to speak at an event called This Is My Brave. Now, you can purchase tickets for this event if you'd like to see me speak and the other great speakers as well. From what I understand, these are somewhat similar to like a TED Talks. They're shorter talks given by people um, through essay, poetry, music, and dance. I will not be dancing, but I'll just be chatting it up. It's going to be awesome. I'd love to meet you there in person after the show. You can buy tickets. I'm sure just Google This Is My Brave. Again, it's in Los Angeles, Sunday, January 22nd at 4 p.m. at the Moss Theater, 3131 Olympic Boulevard, Santa Monica, California, 90404. Now, real quick before we depart, let's talk about a life hack. This is it. There are no more big deals in your life. Big business deals, big personal deals, big real estate deals, big promotional deals. None of that stuff matters anymore because the only thing that matters is sobriety. Seriously, think about that for a second. Really, the only thing that matters for me personally is if I drink or I don't. As soon as I put that perspective back in my mind, there aren't any more big deals in life. It's pretty sweet. Okay, recovery elevator. We took the elevator down. We got to take the stairs back up. We can do this.